Amen. Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. And those of you joining us online, good morning to you also. We're in the book of Acts this morning, but before I tell you where we are and we stand to read the Word of God, I have a question for you teens. Do you ever wonder why, particularly on some songs, the adults around you tend to raise their arms a little bit more, sing a little bit more deeply? Have you ever wondered why they're doing that? It would be a good assignment, would it not be for you, to be able to notice that Evidently, as the years have piled up in their lives, there's something that appeals to them more now than maybe when they were your age. Uh, It's going to happen to you, too, if you stick with the Lord. The day will come where you will squeeze out of the songs more after life has had its way with you a little bit than maybe what you're doing now. Anyway, um, that's not part of my message. My time has not yet started. Paul preached till midnight. So, if you have your Bibles, please open to the book of Acts, chapter 2. We are going to take verses 42 through 47. This is a kingpin verse. It holds things together. It is, uh, if I quoted all the scripture that backed up all the comments, we would be here till midnight. There's that much scripture supporting what is found just in our first verse, verse 42. And so if you have your Bibles, please stand. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread And in prayers, then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Please be seated. I am reading from the New King James Version of the Bible, if, if you are new here. It, uh, we posted in the bulletin. The foundation, that's the title. The foundation, because that is what verse 42 is. In that one verse, we have the gospel and everything to do with the gospel. And uh, the believers, they continue to do what got them this far since the ascension of Christ, since Peter preached that sermon, beginning with Joel, and then going to the Psalms and the life of David, all about Jesus Christ. They continued. That's key to a victorious Christian life, to a fruitful Christian life, to a life that can withstand the fiery darts Paul said it this way to the Galatians, Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? You came to Christ, you responded to the Spirit, you submitted to Him, you trusted Him, you depended on Him, you looked to His Word for guidance in life. And then he says, are you so foolish that you think you're going to do better without God's Word, without God's way? Did you come this far only to depart? From what brought you this far. 
Well, the apostles aren't departing. They're sticking to it. And we're going to find that many of the believers at this point are going to continue steadfastly. My pastor repeated this verse from Galatians 3.3. He stressed it at almost every pastor's conference. He was so concerned that the pastors would depart from the spiritual dependence on the word and on God and look to the means and methods of men to grow their churches. And sadly, many of them uh, just d- did not register. Does God's word, does the preaching of God's word register with you? Does it mean anything when you hear these things, regardless of how much they bite or encourage? Do they mean something to you? Do you get it? Or is it just going in one ear and out the other? Because you only want to hear what you've already decided to agree with. Well, each one's going to have to decide that for themselves. I also say this from Galatians. I I hope often enough, having begun in the spirit, I will not be perfected as a Christian if I get into the flesh and depart from the spirit. And I have watched some heed and I have watched others fail to heed. And I've distanced myself from those who don't heed. You know, we like to say, can two walk together unless they are agreed? Until it really gets down really gets down to the facts of what we must agree on and not those emotional choices that we all tend to make. Emotions can inflict us so heavily to the point we get flashbacks that we don't want to have. And you've got to fight your own emotions if you're going to continue steadfastly or you're going to give in to something else. Something like, I used to like that guy, but I don't anymore. Many times it's not because they did something immoral. They just didn't do what you liked. And this is a battle in life, and Satan knows it. These apostles did not change, appease, or accommodate anyone. They stuck to the message. They were more interested in pleasing Jesus Christ than anyone else. Now, Peter's going to be shaken by this later on. He's going to want to appease and accommodate And change for the Jews that come up from Jerusalem to Antioch. And Paul is going to stand up and say, I'm not appeasing anybody. I'm not accommodating anyone. This is the truth. You know it. Barnabas knows it. And you've departed from it. Now what are you going to do? Well, Peter corrected himself. He even writes later on. Listen to what Paul has to say. It's deep what he has to say. Why? Because he does not depart from the Spirit. He sticks with the things that are the gospel. Peter saw converts, over 3,000 of them, because of the scripture, because of the spirit, because of the fact and the truth that belong to that. Stephen will die doing the same thing. Stephen's not going to back down from them. God told Ezekiel, I'm going to make your head harder than their heads. They want to butt heads, I'm going to make you prevail. And We should, as Christians, understand these things. We go into the workplace and these schools and universities, wherever we find ourselves. Our head is harder than their head, and I know that. And you do too. Revelation 3, verse 10. This church at Philadelphia was one of, was two of seven that Jesus singled out. Two of seven that stood their ground, that had their hard heads against the lesser hard heads. Revelation 3.10, because you have kept my command to persevere, 
I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world. He goes on to say, because you have kept my word, they did not depart, having begun in the spirit. Hold to the apostles' teachings and be ready to rumble with any Christian that thinks they know better than the Bible. And anyone that says they're a Christian and thinks they can do it better than the, what the Bible. And we're seeing this all over the place. A line, that thick line that separates those Christians and churches that are looking to observe and obey what the scripture has to say. And those who are looking for cultural ways to identify with sinners. The line is getting thicker. The old covenant was not in the blood of Christ. The new covenant is. You are New Testament Christians. And we don't go forward without the Old Testament. We take both of them. But we understand the old because of the new. Because of our relationship with the one who died for us on the cross. And we've got to be very clear about that. Our identity. Who are you? If you were stripped of everything you have, what would you be left with? Hopefully, it is your testimony in Jesus Christ. And I would ask for the same thing for me. If the pastor follows the sheep, then he's not the pastor. He's one of the sheep. And there are times that the pastor is going to say things and do things that the sheep won't like. Don't break formation. I'm talking about some immoral sin. I'm talking about some emotional thing. Satan knows that, and he picks off believers all the time. I look at some that used to belong to a good church, and now they don't do anything because the time came when their feelings were hurt. They saw something. I promise you, if you stick around, I'm going to do something you don't like. It's amazing how many fathers want their wives and children to submit and obey to them, but they won't do it to the authority in the church. That's a disconnect. Something's wrong with that. And again, I'm not talking about heretics, bad doctrine, sin. I'm talking about the things that are within the sphere of the pastor. This is how we get things done. Well, verse 42. And they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. They here, referred to in verse 2, are the believers, the apostles and the believers. This was the foundation of the first Christian church. This was their foundation. It is to be the foundation, I believe, of every church. Because in that doctrine of the apostles is the gospel, is the truth, is everything from Genesis 1-1 to the end of the revelation of Christ. That is the apostles' doctrine, their teachings that they receive from Christ himself. If you can get that one and adhere to it, you are on the path of righteousness. This is the case because there's nothing as good and there's nothing better. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And alternate foundations are heretical. They are false foundations. They will collapse. They may take you as far as death but they're going to fail you after that. And that's why John, for example, takes to task the Gnostics that were infiltrating the church not too long after these events taking place here in Jerusalem. As the church began to spread out to the Gentile world, the Gnostics began attacking. And the apostles did not stand for that. That's why we have them attacking it back, counterattacking in their epistles. 
it says here, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. There are five basic activities here. The first one is devotion. They continued. It's not devotion if you only stick to it as you like it. It's devotion when you know it's right, even if you don't like it. That's devotion. That's loyalty. And that's what it takes. Devotion. The apostles' teachings. The fellowship. The communion. Which God is saying, you know, fellowship's not enough. You need to expand that to have fellowship with me in the midst of fellowship with your brothers and sisters. I need to be there. It's not enough to turn the church into a place where people gather and exchange, you know, social niceties. It is the place of Christ. That's what the communion table says. The communion says this is about him, his blood, his body, broken, bled, shed for us. That's what the communion table is. And that's what they're going to continue in. And of course, there's prayer. Why write a book on prayer? We know what prayer is. It's talking to God. It's getting things done in this life in conversation with God. It includes supplication, asking for supplies, petitions, asking for things that you need, or to, uh, things that you don't have, never had, need. Intercessory prayer. I'm ahead of myself here. We're still on continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Paul said to Timothy, you must continue. You must be steadfast. You must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Timothy's been through the fires with Paul. He's a seasoned pastor by this time, and Paul is still concerned about him. You have to continue. Satan wants to pick you off. Your flesh will cooperate with Satan far faster than it will ever cooperate with anything coming from Christ. And you need to know these things and be reminded of these things. To follow their teachings, one has to worship God in spirit and in truth. It's not enough to quote scripture. Satan can do that. It's just no truth when he, when he quotes it. His application is false. And so we must look to make sure we, our facts are right. That's what Peter did when he said, this is what the, apostle, what, what the prophet Joel spoke of. The early church did more to make converts than, uh, at, at this point, the early church did more than make converts. They made disciples. They, they, they attracted other people to be like them, to learn the Christian life, to join them. It's not enough to make a convert, because what have you converted them to? The knowledge of Christ, but there's still a lot of flesh hanging out. There needs to be more. There needs to be an education, a schooling. There needs to be some time in the trench with other believers who've been there before. This is one of the beautiful things about the church. You can't find this anywhere else. You won't find it sitting at home in your living room. You've got to come to church, to the assembly, and get your lumps like the rest of us. This is life. But there's not only lumps. There's a lot of love in a Christian body. You just go out and say, you know, my car broke down. There'll be people coming. You go, I can have an extra car. I can loan you a car. Do you need it? What can I do for you? You've got to give them the chance to love on you. I will say they will not. There's a stubbornness with Christianity. It's quite disgusting. They will not wash the pastor's truck. This is something that has got to change. <laughs> Kidding. 
kidding? Well, in the spirit, I'm kidding. But in the flesh, I'm very serious. <laughs> to follow their teachings. Not emotionalism. Not you know, what warms my heart. It's not enough. I mean, there is that with truth. But there's also that with lies. And if you are one of those folks that is emotionally driven, you probably don't care about other people's emotions if they don't match yours. You notice that? But I feel it. Yeah, but I don't feel it. In fact, I feel it's wrong. And that's where a clash begins. And it's helpful to be mindful of these things. You learn that as life goes on. You know, the other person, maybe I give them the benefit of the doubt sometimes. Maybe they're not up to no good. Maybe they're just, you know, having a bad day. Maybe they just missed that sermon last week week or something. Maybe they're just not getting it. And, uh, for example, you can tell somebody, listen, lighting candles will not draw you closer to God. It will melt wax, but it will not draw you closer to God. And some people who are emotionally invested in this kind of stuff will get upset with you for saying something like that. The apostles. Those were the leaders of the early church. They, and, and Christ appointed them our leaders also. And the leaders, they were, uh, they were united in one accord. The church was centered on them as people go. John 17, verse 20, Jesus speaking. He says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That goes beyond just preaching the gospel. The gospel about salvation is the story of salvation. But what about discipleship? To be a saint. To be separated to Christ. I need to know that. I'm not going to stumble into Christianity, nor will I stumble into perfection. It's hard work. The apostle, initially, it meant, in its strictest meaning, the 12 apostles, well, 13, one forfeited the position, Initially, they were the hand-picked men of Jesus Christ. No human being had anything to do with their appointment as these early authorities in the church. And as, as I've said before, you do better to support the pastor uh, than to criticize. All of us would. I would say this to any church. I would say this to a family member that lived in another state or another country that were attending a church. If you find the church that God has led you to, he's led you there to support, not to break down. And uh, it, it, it's just not, it's not something that comes to us naturally, I've discovered. Well, in the strict sense, they were disciples. God gave the Old Testament prophets, but he added apostles to the New Testament church. He didn't take away the prophets, but he added the apostles and that is significant. He was saying, you know, you, the, the Old Testament law, as beautiful as it is, as I have authored it, it's just not enough to tell the world about me and my immersing the believers in the Holy Spirit and the work that we have to do. And if it was enough, I would not give you the New Testament. But he has. And Paul had to fight every inch of the way to get this truth into the heads of the Jewish people that just had a difficult time breaking from this. Again, that's the entire Hebrew letter. The letter to the Romans, the letter to the Galatians. It's, it's loaded with these, these uh, arguments 
from the Apostle Paul of these truths. Ephesians 2, having been built on the foundation of the apostles. This is our foundation. This is what we stand upon, what we build upon. Without it, nothing goes upward and stays upward. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. That chief cornerstone does not exercise his will apart from his people. That's how he set it up. In the end, of course, he starts employing angels again. But right now, it's the ministry of the church. These are the apostles of Jesus Christ. Jude says this. You know, his little letter, he just wanted to talk about the gospel. But the Holy Spirit said to him, I need you to deal with some heavier things right now in the church. They're saved, but they're being corrupted. And he deals with that, the creeps coming into the church. And and then he writes, But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember their words. He will go on to single out that they were warning the church about scoffers. But it is a general statement that stands by itself. Remember the words that were first spoken by the apostles. And when you pick up your New Testament... That's what you're reading, the words spoken by the apostles. Even Mark and Luke, who were not apostles, were under the authority of apostles. Mark under Peter, Luke under Paul. And uh, uh, these things just cannot be dismissed. And we look at at verse 43 just for a moment. And uh, there we read, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. It's big. You, 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 can't, you, you should not even want to shrink this down. You should be, thank you, Lord, for taking men like me and, and using them in such a, a, a large way. And the first Christians, they accepted this. But again, the heretics are coming. They will not stand for it. Just like you. You find a good church. Satan is not going to stand for that. He's going to come at you. You should be ready and not be ambushed. And if you are, you should know how to respond to an ambush. And it's never pretty. It's not, you know, the dance of the nutcracker. It's very ugly. Well, then there are apostles in the church in a broader sense that are apostles of the church, not of Jesus Christ. Because apostle means one who is sent out. Well, Jesus picked 13 to send out with this authority. Second Corinthians 8. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or, if our brethren are inquired about, they are apostles of the church. The glory of Christ. That's Second Corinthians 8.13. It's translated in the King James Version, the New King James, as the messengers. But it is the identical Greek word. They are apostles of the church. Those, Whenever the church sends people out on a mission, they are in that sense sent out with that authority. The doctrine. Again, that's what Jesus taught them. This is the doctrine of the apostles. It's not something they came up with. I used to think that before I became a Christian. I used to think that guys just sat under a tree and philosophized about God. Philosophy, human philosophy is guessing. It's all guesswork. Sometimes they get it right, most of the time they get it wrong. And now with the internet, we've got them everywhere. You know how many experts are out there? 
uh, man, it's just they take one course and then they put up a, a video and teach you how to do it. It's ridiculous. Uh, anyhow, um, I mean, who would trust a, a internet doctor? Never went to med school or anything like that, or, and and spent time in the trenches in the the ERs of the hospitals around the world. But just felt that you know I really care about people. And what's what's bothering you? Stick your tongue out. Uh, would you go to that guy? Uh, and that goes for a lot of other trades. Well, anyway, uh, back to this. What is the purpose of doctrine? This teaching that is so upheld in Scripture. Well, to, to get us to please God by lining up with God. By being on His side, sharing His views, His opinions, and submitting ourselves to His authority. Without submission, there cannot be salvation. We must submit. These apostles, their doctrine was formed by direct teaching and contact with Jesus Christ. Not only did they get the words of Christ, they got the facial expressions and the hand gestures and the body motions too. So if Jesus said, it's a big deal, they saw that. And they didn't write about that. They didn't say, and at that point, he squinted. (laughs) It would have been nice sometimes, right? But then it would limit Uh, what was being said. Luke's Gospel 24, verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the Scripture the things concerning himself. That's their doctrine. That's where they got it from. This is what he sent them out in authority to have. It is almost impossible to overemphasize doctrine, the teaching of God's Word. The doctrine of the apostles. It is what we call the Bible. Because again, the Old Testament makes no sense without someone coming along and illuminating it for us. It is the Holy Spirit and he uses people. This is the case with the Ethiopian eunuch who said, who does this man speak about, himself or someone else? He's reading Isaiah 53 and Philip comes up and he expounds the scripture to him. And what was the result? Action. Here's water. What stops me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe, if you believe. And he did believe. And he was baptized. When Solomon dedicates the temple, we get this this coming Wednesday. Well, part of it. It's a long chapter. You should be there anyway. We won't do the whole thing, I'm sure. But anyway, he brings in the Ark of the Covenant that David danced before with all of his might because that Ark of the Covenant represented so much more than the temple could ever mean to the people because of the presence of God. The presence of God is what meant everything to David, not the Ark of the Covenant. The covenant that was just a point of contact. Well, what was in that Ark? Well, originally in the days of Moses, there was that rod of Aaron that budded. It was his dead stick. It was a dead stick, and it brought forth ripe almonds to show that he was God's man of authority, and you better not mess with him because the same power that made this rod bud can go upside your head, bud. That's part of the lesson because there was a revolt against Moses and his brother. So serious was God about it, the ground opened up and swallowed up people. The other thing in the ark was the pot of manna, the provision of God, the bread of life. But those two, by the time Solomon dedicates the temple, by the time David dances before the ark, those two are not in there anymore. There's only one thing left. 
from the days of Moses. The word of God. That's it. Written on stone by the finger of God. Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. That's what that meant. And a righteous Jew would have made that connection. And thus the nation was to continue in the doctrine of God according to the prophets. We continue based on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. And so it is critical that we are taught the word of God. And you can't do it in 20 minutes. I don't know how I get to do it in 50 minutes. It's just too much information. But it is not to be restrained. Although, you know, you can't just go wild with it. In the days of the Reformers, those guys would speak for hours. Um, if anybody, have I any? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> the word of God, it cuts. And the messengers in this life are executed from time to time. You know, don't shoot the mess. They won't let you finish that. Everyone wants a pastor to stand up to the sheep until they are the sheep being stood up to. I've been preaching this for 30 years and it doesn't seem to work. But it's the truth. And uh, it's something that uh, we, especially you young teens, because it comes natural to us to resist authority. To all of us. Um, unless he's got a pistol on his side. It makes it a little hotter, but anyway. Right, think about it. If the Walmart guy pulled you over, would you even pull over? If the security guard? No. But if a guy with a pistol pulls you over, you, you stop. It kind of doesn't make sense. You'd think that'd be the one I'd keep going from. Okay, anyway. Fellowship is next. Well, they weren't separated by class. Koinonia is the Greek word. It's a word that's an idiom. It's difficult, not for us, from the, for the Greek. It's difficult to take this word and squeeze out of it its meanings. You have to illustrate it to get to it. But you just can't put it in the dictionary. If, if you put it in the dictionary, look up the word koinonia, and it should say, read the book of Acts. Uh, that would be a good way to define the word. Of course, that doesn't happen. Our Koinonia runs deeper than mere friendship. The church God, the Lord doesn't say, I want you to go to this church because you'll like everybody there. John's gospel uh, letter, his first letter, chapter 1, verse 3, that you may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That's fellowship. That means friendship. In spite of friendliness, because of God's presence. Fellowship includes serving together and pardoning one another. But you can't pardon somebody if you're emotionally driven in life. We do not pray, my emotions are my shepherd. I shall not pardon. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He's going to take care of it. It is a two-edged sword. Fellowship involves association and disassociation. Malachi. Malachi. Deal, he, you know, he, he went right at the priests who were corrupt. Uh, but anyway, he says, Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. 
discernment. And now comes the breaking of bread. And we'll come back to fellowship also. I've made some earlier comments on it. Maybe we'll, there's so much to say. But the breaking of bread. This is different from the house-to-house eating meals breaking uh, of bread that we read in verse 46. This is the communion table. Context gives us this. <clears throat> Assembling with the Lord present, the one who died. That's the theme of this communion table that we know as the bread and the cup because of our sin. Christ doesn't let us forget it. He says, I don't want you to lose sight of this. You are a sinner. You're saved by grace. And I, I want to use you to save other sinners who are not yet saved by grace, but can be. Christ instituted this meal when he took the bread, the loaf, and he broke it. And he handed out the pieces to his disciples in anticipation of his soon, uh, just hours away of that, his arrest, his persecution, and his crucifixion. It says that they all drank from the same cup and partook of the same loaf. This is communion. They all drank. They all partook. 1 Corinthians 10, 16, the cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? As Jesus said, shed for many, shed for you. It is a commemoration in, in the assembly. Now, I, I mentioned before, in Ezekiel's millennial temple, there will be no blood sacrifices because Christ has paid that price. There will be commemorative sacrifices. Well, that's what our communion table is. There's no blood sacrifice anymore. Christ is not offered up again. Once crucified. And we rejoice in that. We symbolize that. We commemorate it. We say to the world and to each other, this is a big deal and we're not going to forget it. Not enough to remember the Alamo. I mean, think about it. You know, in history, they wanted to remember what the, the, the war crime that took place at the Alamo. And we're not forgetting, they would say. Well, how much more is ours concerning salvation? Acts 20, verse 7. Now, on the first day of the week, that is Sunday, when the disciples came together to break bread. That's why we gather, we follow this tradition of the apostles. Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Now, that really doesn't have anything to do with my point, except I wish I could go on to midnight. Uh, and I uh, just, uh, you know, I know it's hard. I know it. I go through this every time I prepare a message. It's like, Lord, I just want to get the words down, you know, to, so that it's not long. And I just can't get it there. Uh, and I, I don't, and I've come to believe he doesn't want it there. And so it takes a little effort to sit and listen to someone else speaking about God's word. You parents know that. Haven't you been trying to teach your kids certain things and, and you know that they don't want to hear it? You're, you're just going on and on and on? Well, at least I got scripture. <laughs> the Lord's Supper. Celebrated as a meal initially. Initially, they did sit down and it was a meal. But because of abuses and then later persecution, but mainly because of the abuses, uh, the, the New Testament church had to limit this to just the symbolism. Because people were coming into the church 
gorging themselves and getting drunk in the church. I'm amazed at the patience of the Apostle Paul dealing with the Corinthians. Uh, But he did deal with them in patience as an example. Uh, to commune is to draw near. I'll give you some verses. You can look it up. Exodus 3, 5. You know, Moses, take the sandals off your feet. Psalm 73, verse 8. To not to commune is to be afar off. Ephesians 2, 17. Matthew 15, 8. These people draw near me with their mouths, but their heart is far from me. Uh, in vain they worship me. Man, how, how, what a heavy blow to ritualism. Your ritual means nothing. It's your relationship that counts. And uh, there, you know, in chapter 2, Paul's saying, you're no longer strangers. Now you've been brought near to Christ. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine, For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner and, drink, uh, and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the body of the Lord. And that's where they were just abusing the table. Paul, don't you get it? It's the presence of Christ. It's not just a time for you to... To, to just, you know, pig out. It's a solemn event. And if you have not reverence, you have a great liability flowing through your veins. Isaiah twelve six For great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. That's what the ark, again, with David was. It was God with them. The Shekinah, the presence of Christ. The Shekinah that followed the Jews or led the Jews in the wilderness, that was what we call a... A theophany, a physical manifestation that God has chosen to use as an emblem of his presence. And when he shows up in human form before the virgin birth, we call it a Christophany, Yahweh in human form. How many churchgoers would say that this verse, Acts 2.42, is to be a priority of every believer and every church. How many churches are even aware of Acts 2.42 that you shall continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in communion, in prayer? How many cherry-pick from that? Well, we do the prayer, we do the communion, we have the fellowship. The doctrine we massage. We move it around. We don't just take it as it is. I don't know if they are understanding, if they think that the church must evolve doctrinally. The church does not evolve doctrinally. Behaviorally, the church can evolve. I mean, there are certain things we can plan. We do that a little different, like with the communion table. Uh, we can change little things. We have some space, but not with doctrine. Not with what um, we've been taught is a fact about God and a fact about man. We can have a church service at 11 o'clock, or we can have one at 9 o'clock. So we have that right. But we better be careful with all of them that we're not leaning on our own understanding, but seeking the Lord. We talked about, you know, pastor directed. That's what the shepherd does. He directs the sheep. Where are we going next, boss? That's what the sheep were saying. I'm hungry. Where are we going next? And we're going to that pasture over there. He leads me into green pastures. He he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters because I'm terrified of those white water rapids. That's the idea. Verse 43. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Fear came upon every soul. That's reverence versus irreverence. Someone who uses Christ's name in vain is demonstrating how irreverent they are. 
someone who makes a mockery of the things that are solemn in Scripture. Uh, that is irreverence. Um, I don't know. Do observers uh, of the church today, when they look at us, is there reverence? Do they at least say, well, I don't believe that, but they do it right for what they believe? Or do they say they can't even, they don't even follow their own beliefs? Uh, these are critical things. Second Chronicles, the King Jehoshaphat instituting change. We read this, so they, he, he, he said to the priests and Levites, I want you to teach the word. So they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of Yahweh with them. They went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught the people. And the fear of Yahweh fell on all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah so that they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. Well, that's attractive to me. I like some of that, Lord. I would like to be part of a church that had that. We'll find this respect in this manner continue in Acts 5, 5, Acts 5, 11, Acts 9, 31, and Acts 19, 17. Fear came upon them. It was that reverence. Like, these guys are in touch with God. And, and, of course, there were those that were greatly irreverent that killed the Christians. And, of course, Stephen being the first. Today, the church is more in fear of losing attendees than continuing steadfastly. If they have to change what the apostles said to keep people attending, they will, many churches. I, I don't know why they don't just stop calling themselves churches. It's, you know, Harry's Hangout or something. Or just anything. But stop calling yourself a church if you're going to depart from the doctrine. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. God established these men. I, I don't know. I've got to speed this up a little. There's so much more I want to say. I mean, if you're looking for a church, I, I, on one hand, I feel sorry for you. I wouldn't want to trade places. Uh, but on the other hand, it's a glorious opportunity to submit to God, to be led, to say, where do you want me? And wait for him. He'll tell you. The light will turn on. That's it. And then the devil's coming. And you should be ready. You shouldn't be, well, I'm afraid he's going to get me. He will if you're not ready. It doesn't take much to be ready. I should add that. What does it take mainly to be ready? To continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in communion, and prayer. Right here in our own Bible. God did this, what he's doing to his disciples by these signs and wonders. He did it. For Moses to Joshua, when, when Moses was going to heaven and Joshua was going to take the lead, God said, I'm going to strengthen Joshua in front of everybody. Elijah and Elisha. After Elijah went up in the chariot of fire, who he said, can I have a double portion of whatever it is you're having? And he said, if you see me go up, you get it. And he got it. And God will do this with the two witnesses and 144,000, and he does it with us. But the difference is with us. He doesn't have us roll up our, our jacket and strike water and it parts for us as it did with Elijah, Elisha. What God does, he says, I'm going to have you stick to truth in the face of everything. That is a miracle. Evidently, because there are those that don't. There are those that turn tail, you know what, I'm changing teams now. I'm going back to the world. We call them apostates. It's their call. No one put a gun to their head and made them depart from Christ. Verse 44 
Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. The early church evidently experimented with this idea of a common purse. We'll just contribute to this common purse. It was a high and a pure motive. It was a good thing that their hearts were looking in this direction, but it didn't work. And in fact, it was going to lead to the death of two people who were part of this and failed to follow through with it. It was not called for by God. That doesn't make it a sin. They wanted, you know, they wanted to do something good and helpful, and it did help some for a while. It also caused problems for the apostles. It was almost a detour to take them from studying the Word of God and being in prayer to being involved in helps ministry, which is nothing wrong with a helps ministry, but that was not their calling. And the Spirit made that clear. Uh, and out, a lot of good came out of that. Philip, for Stephen, they, it came out of that, this event. Uh, but it does seem it was more of an emotional uh, charged event. It's not communism or socialism that's mandated, they were ready to help, and people were contributing to this. Uh, it was one of the few possible flaws of the early church, relatively minor. And we'll, when you look at Acts chapter 4, verse 32, which revisits this, they were still doing it. They really don't do it too much after Sapphire and Ananias are struck dead. <laughs> and that's just the way it is. But what we read in verse 33 is and with great while while the multitude is involved in this helps ministry is a contrast between verse 32 and 33 of chapter 4 in Acts in verse 33 it says that the apostles it, it says with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord and great grace was upon them all so it says here's everyone helping here are the apostles this they're doing what they're supposed to do they were sticking with the word. And things that took them from that word were to be shut down. And we'll get that in Acts chapter 6. Well, uh, many uh, coming back to verse 44, this was voluntary, not compulsory. As I mentioned, Acts chapter 5, Peter will say it right out to Ananias and Sapphira. He says, while it remained, was it not your own? That was what they promised to give to the church. So they said, we're going to give all of this... We're going to sell our land and give it all to the church. Well, they sold their land, but they only gave some to the church. They lied. And uh, they were struck dead for this. It was pretty heavy stuff. We'll get to that in five, but I will read this. Peter says, while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? You could have done with it whatever you want until you pledged it to God. Now it became a contract, a covenant. And uh, they were going around bragging and boasting, and, and they were dealt with severely. Uh, anyway, uh, this communal pot, uh, it caused the first major problem. When the Hellenistic Jews were not getting their portion, the, the Jerusalem Jews were getting an abundance, they, so was the charge. And uh, that was a big problem. Uh, you are free to give to a ministry that will take care of the needs of others for you. There's no sin in that. Or you're free to give it yourself. What you're not free to do is say you're going to give it and don't give it. That's where it starts to get a little sticky. Well, anyway, verse 45, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. And I, I've commented on that. The, the apostles were initially the ones that oversaw the money. 
or the goods. But uh, in time, uh, not long after, they said, you know, we, we're not here for this. You get somebody else from who are faithful in the body, and that's what they did. You can't devalue service, uh, being a servant uh, in the church. The walls in the church. You go to the kids' ministry. Who takes care of scuffs on the walls? They get a lot of them. Somebody is just like, you know, when I worked bridges, there were, the painters were always painting a bridge. They go from one end to the other. It'd take them about a year. Then they go back and do it again. And they just kept doing that. It's the same here. Men's maintenance. If we have the workers, uh, we, everything needs painting. The list always has got something to be painted. Service. And you come into the tree, boy, this is nice and shiny, this place. Like the Shekinah's here. <laughs> you know, somebody's working, doing it. Don't undervalue serving. All right, we've got 25 minutes left. Oh, I didn't start my timer. Verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. This was no fad. This was not like, hey, everybody's doing it. I'm going to do it too. This was the outcome of their coming to Christ, of seeing in their scripture that their Messiah had come and died for them with one accord because the leaders were united. This was a big deal. You get to 1 Corinthians 3, and the, the, the people aren't united around. You know, one, I like Apollos better than I like Peter. Another one, I like Paul. And Paul said, did I die for you? In the temple, uh, the t- Jewish temple is fading away. The New Testament church begins there, but will depart, move away from there. Jesus said to the woman at the well, the hour is coming. Now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. Uh, They will worship the Father, not in any particular place. I I won't go to that verse, take more time. Anyway, this temple held fond memories for these men of Christ teaching there and ministering. And they were not in a hurry to leave. What's going to chase them out of there? Persecution. Persecution will squeeze them out. Uh, I mentioned the meals. These were actual dinners and fellowship. Christians are still doing this. You invite people to your homes. You go out together. The one thing I loved about the church in Manhattan, after every service, they were all single, almost everybody there. Uh, but you, you'd go to almost any number of the good restaurants or diners, or diners, sorry, um, and, and you'd, there would be the church people. Uh, they would be all over the place. And it was, it was one of the highlights of the week. I, I so looked forward to that. And now, when you have families, though, you either invite people, you know, you don't take a whole family out to a restaurant as a rule with another whole family regularly. You may do it from time to time. The tip's going to be bigger. But uh, anyway, you, we still do this. Simplicity of heart or singleness of heart. The idea is they didn't complicate the faith. They left that for future authors to write many books that no one's going to ever read. Verse 47, we're at the last verse. I got to, oh, I have to get to this. Praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Okay, I've commented on this time and time again. The Lord builds the church. Um, not by might, not by power, by my spirit. Jesus said, Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. John 15, 5, he who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. Psalm 127, verse 1, the Lord builds the house and those who labor, labor in vain. 
uh, that is without the Lord doing it. We are not a marketing agency. The church grows through nutrition, not addition. That's how we build the church. Not by human government, power, or wit, or gimmicks. We, we just, the apostles' doctrine. And, and all that, what I've been speaking about this morning. I, I think a lot of Christian, Christendom either doesn't know this verse exists, they don't understand it, or fearfully, they don't believe it. They believe they can do better. God is not going to entice people to a church. May you never hear me say to somebody who's searching for a church, well, I hope you come back. I hope you, you know, this is going to be a church. That is so far beyond me. That's God's work. My work is to not mess it up. <laughs> and I, I don't know why Christians don't get it. So here we are. I got this uh, December 20th from the Internet because there's so much truth on the Internet. Church is turning to tech firm to target new members. More than 30,000 churches have signed up with GLOO, G-L-O-O. I couldn't find what that was an acronym for. I could make up some things. But uh, he says a small tech firm that utilizes personal data and online activities to target individuals who may be interested in a church message, a church's message, and potential membership. Glue says it seeks to reshape the way that the churches, ministries, and people connect with each other, which has become increasingly relevant as churches look for ways to boost numbers following declining attendance that has been exacerbated during the Wuhan pandemic. They don't say Wuhan, but that's what it is. Anyway, the company explained in a recent Wall Street Journal report that it wants churches to be empowered with big data. I mean, am I the only one? I mean, is, is there anyone here that says, no, I don't see anything wrong with this? That, I mean, I'm not saying this is a sin, but who needs the Holy Spirit? Who needs Acts 2.42? Who needs to continue steadfastly? Uh, he continues, the goal is to target people in the same way that big brands like Amazon, Google, and Netflix use that data to target consumers with goods and services. We don't have goods. We have services, and they are good. But, uh, I mean, thank you, thank you. It's, it's, it's not in my notes. It's just the spirit was upon me. <laughs> I, I mean, is this what they, you, they perceive the church to be? Wisdom and fear came upon all of them. Because they couldn't get enough money from the church that they wanted. They charge you for this. What, could you imagine I'm taking your tithe money and I'm going to buy somebody who can get people to come in here? Because we can't do it. I don't know. I, 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 I mean, younger I would have been pounding the pulpit. I'm older now and I'm more mellow. And nothing scriptural in any of this, not even the grounds of scripture. One, G. Campbell Morgan said about the church who does these things. She has turned to other lords and other masters and has adopted other methods than the methods of Christ himself. Now, I'll close with this verse from Zephaniah, chapter 3. Of course, the lamentation for the state of Israel at, this, at that time. She has not obeyed his voice. She has not received correction. She has not trusted Yahweh. She has not drawn near to her God. It's communion. You draw near to God, not 
marketing agencies in Christ's name. How'd you find us? Well, I saw that you, your church is, um, you know, offering free this and free that. <laughs> free is the word of God. Let's, I didn't want to end it that way. Let's end it this way. Have a nice day. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> Our Father, not to be self-righteous, uh, not to just look down on other people, but certainly, Lord, to call out other practices, practices that are not edifying, are not found as the pattern from your word. If we can just write our own script, who needs the script of your scripture? May, Lord, we get these things. May we understand them. May they not bore us. May we be inspired by your word. If you've been listening this morning and you've never opened your heart to Christ, then I have to tell you that the Bible tells us all that you are dead and trapped in your sin and you will pay forever unless you do something about it. All you have to do is respond to the invitation of God in Christ Jesus. If you want to go to heaven, you've got to be honest with God about yourself. You've got to admit that you're a sinner and you cannot earn his salvation, but you can receive it. If you open your heart and say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I've broken your commandments. and There's no one else who can forgive me. No one good enough, no one strong enough. And I give my life to you. And I ask you that this day you would find me surrendered to your lordship all my life and praising the salvation that you give, that you would be my Lord and Savior. And now, Father, if anyone has made this prayer this morning, may they not be ashamed of it, may they act upon it, and may they respond to the invitation when given. In Jesus' name, amen.